Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 67, where we interview Stephen Donovan from Even Stephen Money. The way I looked at it as no one hates my debt more than me. So I took it as I'm going to personally attack it and I'm going to you know, do well. I'm going to do well at my job. I mean, if I need to make extra income, if I need to live on less, that's what's going to happen. It's time for a new American dream, one that doesn't involve working in a cubicle for 40 years, barely scraping by. Whether you're looking to get your financial house in order, invest the money you already have, or discover new paths for wealth creation, you're in the right place. This show is for anyone who has money or wants more. This is the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. How's it going, everybody? I'm Scott Trench, and I'm here with my co host, Miss Mindy Jensen. How are you doing today, Mindy? Scott, I'm doing pretty good today. Yesterday was the end of Girl Scout cookie season in my area and I am the true cookie mom and I've been mired in Girl Scout cookies and it's done now and I am very excited to start and always very excited to end too. So big weight off my shoulders and it's going pretty good. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Does that mean you get free Girl Scout cookies or they have to pay extra? (laughs) That means I have thousands of boxes of Girl Scout cookies in my garage for six weeks. And the temptation is very hard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, let's get back to some more of the money topics that we were going to discuss today. And uh, can you tell us about the guest today? Today, we have Stephen Donovan from Even Stephen Money. And I have known Stephen for several years. I just enjoy hearing his story because it's not that different. He graduated from high school and went to college because that's what you do. He graduated from college and bounced around for a while because it's really almost inhumane to ask 18-year-old kids to know what they want to do for the rest of their lives. And he's, you know, his story isn't that different from other people. It's like, well, I graduated from college and now what? You know, you're an adult, but not really because you're still feeling like a college kid. And he got himself into some debt. Shocker, spoiler alert. And his story of how he paid it off is pretty interesting. Yeah, I thought it, I thought it was great. And um, I just thought it was kind of like a great example about how once intentionality comes into play, how the kind of results start piling up dramatically in this game of finance. That is a really good observation. Once he figured it out, I mean, he even says at one point, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to be doing. I was kind of, you know, lost. And once you figure it out and once you focus, you really can't get, you're unstoppable. And that was him. I don't want to give away his whole story like we normally do. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. 
This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Stephen Donovan from Even Stephen Money. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. How are you today? Hey, I'm great. I'm great. All smiles on this end, of course. <laughs> All smiles on these ends too. I'm so excited to have you on the show. I've known Stephen for several years now, and he's got a really great story of getting into debt and getting out of it, which is uh, kind of what we're all about. So Stephen, why don't you start us back at the beginning of where you feel your relationship with money starts? Oh man, relationship with money. <laughs> For me, it starts really just coming out of high school. I ended up, I didn't get a lot of guidance, I would say, from my parents. So when I went to college, I essentially went there without a lot of direction other than I needed to get a degree. I didn't care or I didn't know how to get it without really going into student loan debt is how it came from. So you went to college. Why did you go to college if you didn't know what you were doing? <laughs> I, you know You're what? 18. You should be making these lifelong decisions. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like Mindy. Come on. <laughs> oh. But no, I mean, I knew that I wanted to be in business somehow, and I knew that like the next step. I should say I knew. This is what I knew at the age of 18. Oh, I knew that I needed to go to college, and I thought I was going to be a financial advisor, and I was going to make hundreds of thousands of dollars in drive around in fancy cars. And the next step was to get a college degree. What, what was your kind of position coming at? Did you work in college? Did you kind of like, like how did you kind of enter and, and, and leave college from a financial perspective? I worked on and off throughout high school. So I worked at a golf course. Uh, my last summer before I went into college, I actually worked swimming pool construction. It's a thing. Uh, uh, but yeah, and then in college, I, I got jobs periodically. So like during the winter, for example, I would work at uh, Marshall Fields, which I believe is now Macy's, showing my age a little bit. And I, I also worked at a golf course throughout college as well um, during the summer. So I, I was working. I was just never a full-time employee. I would just... Uh, it would either be the summer or the winter, for example. So when I came out of college, I ended up having... It was right around fifty-five to sixty thousand dollars in college debt from my student loans, and I had some credit card debt and a personal loan to my parents. But other than that, I was totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you loaned your parents money, or they loaned you money? They loaned me money. Okay, and what were you doing with all the money that you were making? Were you just 
like spending it on regular living expenses? Were you trying to pay down any of these student loans? Yeah. So when I was in college, I took that money and I did a little bit of, so I made sure that my housing was taken care of. So that was the main point. So I knew I had to live like without that, um, I wouldn't have been able to go too much further, but a lot of it, I just didn't really spend it wisely. So if I wanted to go to a party or I wanted to go out that night, that's what I did. If I wanted to spend it on things that I needed for school, that's what I did. Like that money was there to spend. It wasn't necessarily there for tuition is how I, how I view things. Cause I had those student loans. I could take care of it. What was your, what was your lifestyle like with this? Were you, did you kind of live in the absolute cheapest place? Was it, you know, ramen noodles or how, how did that kind of, how'd you kind of manage it in college overall? Yeah, I think I was pretty good actually. So we live very close to school. I, I went to uh, a school, a college in Wisconsin, uh, the university of Wisconsin, Eau Claire. And with that, it wasn't an expensive school. It was a state tuition. I just made a lot of choices that really piled up that weren't right. And they just kept adding up. So, I mean, I remember our rent, my portion of the rent at the time, I believe it was like $315. Again, this was like in the 2000 to 2005 range. So I, I don't know what that is in today's dollars, but it wasn't like excessive. I just... If I wanted something, I would take a credit card and go get it. If I wanted to go to spring break, I'd put it on a credit card or I'd take the money that I had. If I needed a car or it needed gas, like no, no qualms about taking out my credit card and swiping it. Wanted to go visit someone. Same thing. It was just freely spending is really what it was. Okay. So you graduated college with fifty-five dollars to $60,000 in random debt, including student loans and silly credit card debt. What was your major in college? Did you major in something good? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think so. Uh, Underwater basket weaving. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up coming out with a bachelor's degree in finance. Okay, nice. so that's usable. That's not like some. Oh, I'm gonna throw me under the bus. That's not some like ridiculous degree. What did you do after college? Did you get a job right away? So I did, but it took me a little while actually. So I came out in between 2005, 2006, give or take. And when I came out, I didn't immediately go into the work world. I actually got cold feet. My intentions were to go into like a Northwestern Mutual or an Edward Jones type of establishment and be, you know, some sort of financial advisor, sell insurance, something on those lines. And it was actually, I was going to move to a place in Illinois. And I just, I really did. I got, I got cold feet. I was like, if I do this, I essentially have to live here for the rest of my life is how I thought of it. And I wasn't ready to do that. And so I kind of did a little bit of everything, anything from which I did a lot of actually, it was going back to the golf course to, I played poker. I like as a, a job. Yeah. For a very short period of time, but that was the full-time employment for a little while. So yeah, I would wake up every morning. Uh, well, whenever I felt like waking up to be honest, but I would wake <laughs> up and I would go to the casino in Milwaukee and played uh three, six limit hold'em for that day. And it was an interesting time when you're 20, was it 25, give or take. But yeah, so I didn't really get my, I'll say like a big boy job until I was probably in 2007. So a couple of years after, I guess, quote unquote, figured things out. And what did you do in 2007? Uh, I ended up working for a bank. Uh, it's called US Bank, where I was in 24-hour banking and financial services or 24-hour banking and customer service. I should probably know that a little bit better. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I started it out as I literally was on the phone. I was so happy to get a job at that point because like now it's creeping in actually right into where like the recession is almost ready to start. So 
But yeah, so I was actually on the phone taking phone calls from people asking about their money, essentially. So, so during this period between graduation and this job, how did your financial position evolve? It didn't, it didn't actually change that much. So I still had the student loans. I did everything in my power to defer them to like any plan that they had. It was like deferment, income sensitive, graduation plan. I think I was on honestly like four to five different plans, whatever they would allow to make it either have me not pay or reduce that uh, monthly payment. That's what I did. My credit card debt kind of went, as you can imagine, with the, with the poker as well. It, it was just swings. So sometimes it went way down and other times it went way up because of you know, winning and losing with poker at that time. While it was just a short period of time, it still kind of caused swings in my financials. I also, even with the credit cards, I was trying to figure out... As you can tell, I didn't have like a real clear direction based on how many things I'm probably talking about. But I also did... Uh, I would go into Nike, the Nike outlets, and I would purchase things from Nike. And then I would also attempt to sell them on eBay for a higher value. And I did that also by buying that on a credit card. You said attempt to sell them on eBay for a higher value. Did you, were you actually successful? Were you making money off of that? Or was it kind of a break-even thing? Because I tried the eBay, like go to the thrift store and buy all these cool things and then put them on the, on eBay. And I sold them for like $4 more. It was a waste of time. (laughs) Uh, So what's really great about the Nike part was, so you can, uh, I mean, I don't know how, this might be moral compass, ethical code, but you can buy things at Nike and attempt to put them on eBay for, you know, say it's whatever the customer service receipt says, say it's 30 days. And if you don't sell it, you can return those items. So I wasn't really losing money at that point because I could return the items if they didn't sell. So if I bought five shirts, you know, if three of them sold for, you know, 20 or $30 more, I made that money and then returned the items that didn't sell. Or if I thought they would, you know, I'd hold them onto them for longer and just kind of ride it out. So I did make a profit. The problem with that, the way that worked was it's harder to buy its volume. So you couldn't buy a hundred shirts at Nike outlet. I was buying three or four and then trying to sell those. So I'd make $60 here, $80 there. Mm. Yeah. So not really a viable plan. Yeah. So, well, you said something that was very interesting. You said, well, as you can tell, I didn't really have any direction. Well, I think it's monumentally unfair to ask high school seniors, hey, pick what you want to do for the rest of your life and then go to college and figure it out and then come out of college and now you've got a career and there's a lot of changes that happen there. When did you finally figure out your stuff? (laughs) Or did you? Did you? I'm assuming you have. (laughs) Yeah, so I would say I figured it out really closely when I got married. There's kind of, there's some backstory. So I actually, I should fill in a little bit. So I was working at that job for, for two years at US Bank doing the customer service. And then I was actually dating a girl long distance. And I decided to, well, first buy a Mercedes Benz and then, and then, <laughs> and then move down to Miami a couple of months later to see if the relationship was going to work. I had maybe one to two months of savings. And I had this big idea that I was just going to get a job and I'd be fine. And pursue whatever was going to work. And that didn't work out so well. I did hustle as much as I could when I was down there. You know, I was literally doing anything from mowing lawns to eBay to again, playing poker this time online. Um, And uh, it didn't work out. And then when I really figured things out was when 
I hit my breaking point where I didn't think I was going to be able to make like monthly payments. And that had never happened before. I'd always been able to make, you know, whatever the amount was that I could pay it the next month. And I ended up having to like tuck my, what do they say? Tuck your tail between your legs and go back home because I couldn't make it happen. And like the happy ending or like the spoiler alert, I married that lit girl, uh, married that woman later on a few months actually later after I came back. And that's really when I started to figure things out because I, you know, I did get full-time employment shortly after I moved back to Chicagoland area. And when you get married, you kind of have to step up your game, or at least that's how I figured it out. I needed to step up my game. What was your, uh, so let's, let's walk through the, the Mercedes Benz real quick. What was your financial position at that time? And how did that kind of purchase look? Yeah. So I had this great, amazing vehicle that I had since high school known as the Mercury Tracer. I called it the Tracer You Can't Replace Up. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, purple. Everyone, they also called it the purple Barney car, but I don't really like that. Oh, so <laughs> that car ended up being like, there was so many problems with it. And finally, like it was on its last leg and the next logical step. And I should probably put logical in quotation marks again was I needed a new car. <laughs> I needed to buy a new car. And I figured that what I could afford was somewhere in between fifteen to eighteen thousand dollars on a monthly payment, so which came out to I believe it was somewhere in between like three hundred to four hundred dollars that I could swing, and the bank that I worked for had a, a great deal. They had a slightly new Mercedes Benz, and I actually sort of looked at it and said, "Okay, I can't afford this." But at that time, I wasn't making any really any money, any good money. I was making. $30,000 and the Mercedes Benz was right around $18,000. So I could afford it, but I was also, I could afford it because I was deferring all my other payments. And I didn't, I lived very, I guess in some ways, I lived cheaply on everything else at that time. But yeah, the Mercedes Benz was, was a killer, unfortunately. And, and what happened? And then it sounds like you lost the car, right? Hmm. Lost? Is that, is, I feel like I lost sorry, it. <laughs> maybe, I'm, maybe I'm wrong here. I thought you were saying earlier that you had to put your tail between your legs, return the car, and go back home. But it sounds like you didn't have to return the car. I didn't is have to right? return that okay. car. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, I no, missed that fine. one. So, just just me personally, I wasn't I wasn't able to make the payments. But as soon as I went back to Illinois, I worked at the the golf course, which would pay me actually cash at that point, and then I was able to make the payments because I had cash coming in literally from the day that I stepped in Illinois. Okay. I see. Yes. But I did sell the car probably within three to six months of me getting back. And yeah, so I sold it. I took a loss. The, the car just ended up costing me so much money. So it was, and I didn't realize this, this was part of it too. It's like, so, okay, yes, you can afford the monthly payment, but then there's insurance. And then because it's a, you know, high end vehicle, you're not just getting an oil change. That's $20 at your local you know, whatever Jiffy Lube, you're paying like $120 just for, you know, an oil change. And then I was driving a lot when I was down here looking for work and going to different interviews. And again, put so many miles on They're like, well, you have to get this maintenance. And then all of a sudden it was $500 and $1,000. And that car just, you know, in many ways it, it broke me. Uh, I mean, to the positive, I guess, because, you know, it made me realize that I couldn't afford that vehicle and many other things in my life. Mm -hmm. So going back to, to getting married here, what was your kind of position going into marriage? Like what you had a job, what was your job at that point? What was your kind of financial situation? Yeah. So my financial situation was 
unfortunately it was eerily similar other than having the vehicle no longer. So I didn't have that big car payment, which was nice, of course. And that helped me. But I then still had... I was working on paying off credit cards at that point. I was close to finishing them uh, right around when I was getting married. And then I still had all those student loans. I was still just making the monthly minimum payments. And I still had that personal loan to my parents where again, I was just... Whatever they would accept (laughs) was, was really what I paid, which was low as possible. And... The job situation, it actually, right before I got married, it was kind of funny. Right before I got married, we went through... So I got married. We moved to Chicago uh, because my wife came from Miami up. And also, I moved into a new position. So I did a job transfer. So I ended up getting uh, you know, a raise or what have you. But again, I wasn't making really... For a lot of people, I was not making good money. And I don't consider that I was making good money. I believe I was making somewhere in the like the $40,000, $40,000 to $50,000 range. And this was 2011, 2012. Okay. So you graduate from college, you bounce around, you finally get a job at US Bank. You're there for a couple of years. You're dating Yeti long distance. You moved down to Florida. Did you quit your job when you moved down to Florida? Yes. Yes. Okay. And then you were bouncing around down there for a while. How long were you in Florida? Uh, For about a year. Okay. And did you have any sort of steady employment when you were down there? Uh, Does a part-time job at Rosetta Stone at a kiosk mall count? Wow. How did you convince her to marry you? (laughs) I guess tall, dark, and handsome goes a long way. Lots of jokes. Just constantly constantly make my wife laugh. That was my my end. That's a good end. You got to make the ladies laugh. Um, Okay. So you are down in Miami for a year. You moved back to Chicago. Did you get a job again with the same U.S. Bank? Uh, not the same. I mean, yes, with U.S. Bank, but I went into uh, I went into the branch. I was a assistant manager. What's uh, what they were at a in store, which is kind of like a grocery store. I don't know if TCF. I don't know if you guys are familiar with mm-hmm. TCF. So they have those that are usually in grocery stores. That's what U.S. Bank had. I'm not even sure if they're still around with the in store, but that's what I was doing for about a year. Okay, and did you get married in Miami, or did you get married back in Chicago? Uh, I got married in Miami. Okay. So you were in Miami, you moved back to Chicago, you get a better job. Do you still have the Mercedes at this point? No Mercedes. So when I came back, I stayed with a family uh, family member for a few months until he, he was like, hey, you got a job. See you later. Um, <laughs> and then when I moved down into the city, because I was staying in the suburbs with my family member, when I moved into the city, luckily enough, I was able to get rid of that car shortly afterwards because it just... For usually in a big city, especially Chicago, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to have a vehicle, especially I worked about a mile away from the branch that I was at. So, you know, taking public transportation or a bike or walking wasn't that big of a deal. Okay. Yeah. Chicago has a great public transportation system. I actually really miss it because I'm in the Denver area and they haven't figured it out yet. So that's, yeah, in Chicago, you don't need a, a car. And there's a lot of people that I know that don't have a car. They don't even have a driver's license. I'm like, really? That's just weird because I lived in Chicago. I lived in the suburbs for a while. I moved to the city for a while and public transportation is awesome. So, okay. So you're got a good job now. You're making, well, I still think $40,000. I mean, in 2011, having a job at all was really a bonus. I mean, there were so many people out of work. You got married. How did you figure out money? And what did your wife think about all of this? Like, did she come into the marriage with her own debt? Yeah, that's a great question. 
So we went about things a little bit differently in terms of, so I was, I was starting to get my financial act in order. I knew that I was in the marriage. I was, uh, you know, get everything in check because now you're, I don't even know how to say it, man of the house. Uh, not, not really sure the right terminology anymore. So I knew that I, I needed to, you know, like show my wife that having all this debt wasn't going to put us in a good place. So what we did, and this was her recommendation, and I did not take it well at first was we decided that whatever you brought into the marriage, that's what you're responsible for. So lucky enough, I brought in student loans, personal loans, credit card, all that other stuff. And my wife brought in a house or a mortgage from when we lived or when, when she was in Florida. And we attacked that separately. So all of the money that I made, I attacked that, that debt with the money that I made. So it wasn't a joint attack. Now she was supportive. And you know, when we had the mortgage payment, if it was a $2,000 mortgage payment, it was you know, 1000 and 1000 but if there was anything that I needed to like increase, if groceries were a little higher that month, she, you know, she helped out with that. But we tried to do everything really splitting it down the middle with that. So my $40,000 at that time, that's how I paid off debt and anything extra that came along with that. Well, what did she do for work? Uh, she audits banks or at that time she was auditing banks, plural. And later on, she ended up auditing a singular bank. Okay, so she's in accounting at what at, I was assuming like a like a, a big four or something like that type similar type yep. of firm. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, from a married perspective where we share everything, I think this is very interesting that you started off your marriage with is it even separate bank accounts? And did you have did you have the Sorry. Stephen bank account, the Yady bank account, and then the Stephen and Yady bank account for shared expenses? Yes, we did. Yep. Exactly. Okay. And is that still how you guys manage your finances? Uh, up until up until very recently, yes. Okay. And that was just because of. Uh, I mean, we'll talk probably in a little bit, but I, I switched careers, switched jobs, or what have you, and now we just have it working really through her personal checking is how we do it. Okay, and you guys both agree on this, and it worked for you. And well, not at first. I was. I don't want to say I was angry, uh, <laughs> but. I'd have been angry. It was tough to take because again, you know, you think of things right as, you know, everything is joint, you know, we're in this together and hear the message at, at first was like, well, not really. And that's how I took it. And then I really started thinking about it. And the way I looked at it as no one hates my debt more than me. So I took it as, I'm going to personally attack it and I'm going to, you know, do well. I'm going to, if it's, I'm going to do well at my job. I mean, if I need to make extra income, if I need to live on less, that's what's going to happen. So it took me a little bit at first because I was, again, maybe just not ready for it. And I'm not even sure how to say it. Like I just didn't take it well at first and then realized that I, I thought it could be just such a benefit um, would really put it in on me. And because it was me who got in the debt, it wasn't her. She didn't go to, you know, she didn't go to London and pay extra tuition when, you know, in my last years of college, she didn't buy a Mercedes Benz. Like she didn't do any of these things. So I was, I ended up being totally fine with it. I ended up being really motivating actually. Well, and that makes a lot of sense logically, but you don't get married because of logic. Oh, I fell in logic with my wife. No, you fell in love with your wife and you think this, it's like, it's supposed to be a partnership. And 
logically, it makes sense that you are responsible for your own debt. Because like you said, she didn't buy the Mercedes. You did. You should be responsible for paying that. But I could feel your frustration too. Going, looking back at your, at your frustration, would you have handled the situation the same way if you were to do it all over again? Or how would you kind of approach that? Maybe you put yourself on the opposite position, right? You're, you know, if you're a listener to the show, maybe your spouse is coming in with a certain debt or whatever, and you want to have this conversation. How do you, how do you approach that from a, a relationship perspective? Yeah, I think it would, I do it all over again. Um, yeah. Well, it was, it was first, you know, suggested by my wife. So if I had suggested it the other way and she had come in with all that student loan debt, man, that would be a tough decision. Uh, I mean, at that time, I was really into personal finance and I was growing into like, how can I be better at this? How can I, you know, how can I pay off that? So I was the run reading books and going through blogs. And personally, it was the right move for me. Now, is it going to be the right move for everyone? You know, I, I would say no, just because, you know, personal finance is personal. Everyone's situation is different. I would attack it this way just because it really it brought me, I think it brought us to where we are today. Maybe it would have taken you know a shorter period of time, of course, because we would have had those two incomes specifically applying. But we also did a lot of great things together, you know, really because of it. And again, I'd go in with the sense that it was the right move for us. I would do it again and kind of go from there. With this new intent to pay down your debt, how did your kind of behavior and lifestyle change relative to maybe the years prior as you began attacking it? Frugal. Frugal would probably be the word I'd use. Because I still wasn't making a great deal of money and we still had our mortgage and different things. So I had to cut, I had to either frugal my way out of, uh, felt like out of situations. You know, like for example, I I guess I could have kept that Mercedes Benz, right? I would have just been in debt for that much longer. So it was an idea that can you eliminate that expense altogether? And that was something that, you know, you had to choose and choose wisely. Like what's the next step? You know, do you want to pay off a little bit more student loan debt or are you good with eating out all the time? Do you want to, you know, pay off that credit card? Or again, are you okay with buying fancy, you know, whatever, fancy clothes as an example? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so, you know, you, so you, would you say that you basically started packing your lunch, walking to work, just not maybe giving up some of the, the things that you might've done if you, in previous years, spending more carefree? Yeah, I absolutely did. I, so things changed the, little by little. It wasn't overnight or anything, but yeah. So I would bring my, my lunch more often to work. That was a big deal. You know, being in the city, you're in the loop. So easy to go and grab a, a $10 sandwich, which $10 for lunch every day, you know, you add that up again, it takes away from that student loan payment. You know, again, you can say all these little things and you know, it might not be a big deal, right? So a coffee, sure, whatever. I buy a two or $3 coffee. But again, you keep doing it and keep repeating. And I just made a choice that, okay, maybe I'm not going to bring a coffee every single day, but you know, let's try it doing it two or three days a week or you know, lunch. Let's just do it once. So mm-hmm. I ended up cutting you know, things that I didn't think had like, a huge value or that I could at least you know, kind of frugal down a little bit and do it a little cheaper. You know, People talk about this coffee. Oh, if you get coffee out all the time, you're never going to be financially free. And then other people come in, oh, it's only $5. If you can't find $5, then you're not going to make financial freedom anyway. But I think it's a mindset. It's this mindset of, oh, I'll just get it out. I'll just get it out. No, I'm not going to get it out. I am in this frugal mindset where I am going to be 
saving as much money as possible. And Carl and I do this now. We have this app that we made from a Google form that we put on our phones and it's our spending tracker. And now it's a game to us. How little can we spend every month? We're still, you know, providing food and shelter for our kids. It's not like we're spending nothing, but, oh, do I really need that? I don't need that this week. I'm going to see if I can push that purchase back or I don't need, you know, whatever. Let me, let me eat out of the pantry instead of grabbing another thing at the grocery store. And it's really, once you get in that mindset, it's hard to stop you. Yeah. And I hear it a lot too. I think a lot of it is, is planning. If you plan different things ahead, almost in any situation, if you have a plan moving forward, you're going to spend less. And it could be, again, you know, the coffees and the, and the groceries, right? But it goes into, you know, if you have a plan to purchase a vehicle, if you go in and just go to the car dealership and buy a car, you're probably going to spend more money. However, if you have a plan for everything, chances are you're going to spend less. And that's, I think, again, it goes to the mindset. And just with a little bit of planning, it ends up really making a difference, I think. How long did this take you to get back to zero? So it took me, it took me right around five years. Mm-hmm. And what, what kind of changed after those five years? Or how did you, or I guess after those five years, did you begin moving toward financial freedom? When did that kind of concept of building assets and building net worth kind of come into play as you went through this process? Yeah. So one of the things that we did, which was really beneficial is... So when we moved to Chicago, so we were already looking for housing. Uh, we were looking to buy a house. I just was what we wanted to do. But sometime in that first year, so we rented an apartment and then we ended up actually buying a place. But sometime during that shift, we were looking for a place that we could live in one unit and then rent the other. And so we ended up doing a, a house hack. We found a place that we really liked. And so we kept our housing expense as almost zero, you know, depending on your math and your taxes and all that and what have you. So that was already a start with the investments. And what year? Uh, so we bought that in 2012. So it was married. Nice. June 12, 2011. 2012. Back to the marriage numbers. Um, but yeah, so we bought it in 2012. So we already, during that time that I was, that I was paying off debt, we also were bringing in rental income. Now this the rental income, again, they didn't go to my student loans or anything like that. We went with a different approach on this as well. We decided that we would be responsible for the mortgage payment regardless of any rent that came in. And then we took that rental income and then we actually applied it to the rental house in Florida. Mm. Was that Yadi's house before you guys... Exactly. That she owned before? Okay. And yep. you were, were you renting that out as well? Yes. Yeah. So as soon as we moved uh, shortly after that, it ended up becoming a rental. So how was your housing expense down there? You had the rent coming in to cover that mortgage and then also your rent from your Chicago place covering that mortgage? Correct. Yeah. So again, we we decided to go at another direction. So we made sure that we were responsible for the mortgage in Chicago, but we were also responsible for the mortgage in Miami and then anything, again, any dollars that came in from any rental income, we just took that as almost like a bonus and then said, okay, we're going to pay down this Florida house. Okay. So where are you now with properties? You're living in Chicago. I'm sorry, not now then. What year are we talking about? 2012? You had just bought a property? Yeah. 2012 is when we purchased the property. Okay. And it was a duplex? Yes. Okay. Triplex. I'm not sure. Uh, Chicago has some. Uh, I don't think it's a legal third unit. I think is uh, what is it? As is. 
Yeah. I, I forget the terminology you're supposed to use in Chicago, but that's what our, that's what we use. <laughs> Were you renting out two units in Chicago? Yes. Yeah. We rented out two and then we stayed on the top floor. Oh, wow. That's even better than a duplex. Okay. So 2012, let's recap. You were your student loans paid off at that time? Uh, not in 2012. My student loans get in, didn't get paid off until I believe it was 2015, 2016. I'd have to get okay. the exact date. I was terrible with that part of it. Okay. So what are some other things you did to try and like, just knock out this debt? You did the frugal thing. Sure. Well, so of course I, I tried to do my best, you know, at my current position. So I was always the person who, you know, would take on more work or if they needed to stay later, I was actually an hourly employee. So, you know, if there was overtime available, you know, I would absolutely volunteer. So I did everything at my current job. Right. But I also knew that it was going to take time. It wasn't the way it worked at my bank was it wasn't something where you did a great job. And then a month later they promoted you, you know, it was year over year and, and what have you, unless you move to a different you know company or a different position within the bank. But then I decided pretty shortly after, it's funny, I mentioned that Nike, the Nike stuff with eBay, but, and you said you didn't do so well with the, the thrift store. So that's, I actually accidentally sort of walked into the thrift store gig where I would buy stuff from the thrift store and I would sell it on eBay for a profit. And I used any extra income that I got from that, that it was, you know, that's the secret sauce for me. That was the extra money that went in. Anything over anything over zero well, went towards all my student loans at that time. So that was really big for me. How much time were you spending on the eBay stuff? And uh, Chicago probably has, I, Chicago has some really great thrift stores. So if you're in the right neighborhood, you can really clean up. Uh, did you have a, a special niche that you were doing on eBay? I'm going to throw like a thousand questions at you. What yeah. were you selling? How much time did it take out of your day? And what sort of profits were you seeing? Yeah. So I walked in accidentally. We had moved into the neighborhood. I went to a local thrift store and I brought home, I saw these polos, uh, men's polos, probably like the one I'm wearing. And they were really cheap. They were like three or $4. And I was like, oh, you know what? I would consider wearing this. Um, and I was like, I got to give it a good wash and you know, whatever. But um, I was like, I would wear that. And then I was like, you know, what? I might even be able to sell these. And then I brought that home to my wife and she looked at it like I was the craziest person alive. She's like, no one. She's like, you're not wearing this. And even if you do wear it, you know, you like wash it a bunch of times, you don't know who had that on. And like, and I was like, okay. I was like, well, I was actually thinking of selling these on eBay. And she's like, not like, it's not going to work. Like no one's going to want these. And I'm like, well, you know, like we'll find out, you know, no big deal. I like I've done, I had some experience, right? So I at least had sold some stuff on eBay. So yeah, what I ended up doing kind of the, that was where it started, but I ended up, I had a couple of advantages. So I was pretty familiar with like brand names in general. I worked at Marshall Fields and Abercrombie while I was in school. So I had like some idea, but the big thing actually originally was the golf courses. So I knew all these random golf courses that were, would be considered like an upper echelon course, not only in the Chicagoland area, but you know, in the United States or even, you know, overseas. And so people don't walk into thrift stores to buy men's polos, you know, with an Augusta logo. Most people have no idea what the Augusta logo is. So I would buy those and they'd be like $3, $4 because people weren't buying them. And then I would sell that shirt possibly for as much as, you know, 30 to $40 because it was basically a new shirt and you couldn't go into Augusta, like the pro shop and buy it without spending, you know, $80 on like for specific shirts that I would buy. So that's really where the, you know, like the bigger profit came from. Cause I could also buy in bulk as well. So I might buy a shirt 
like this one, for example, again, or I shouldn't say this one, but uh, so I would buy a Calvin Klein shirt, right? And pretty, I guess, ordinary, not terribly expensive. And maybe that sells for $10, you know, not that big of a deal. But then I would find this using an Augusta example, find this great Augusta shirt. And that would be, you know, a $40 shirt that I could sell. And that would take care of all of my costs and everything. All 30 shirts that I had after that, or all 10 or 15 shirts that I had were all profit. So the amount of time I put in, it, you know, it varied. Uh, so sometimes I would go in and I'd spend an hour and come home with 40 shirts, especially, you know, as the better I got at it, the, you know, the quicker you kind of go through things. Yeah. But yeah, it could be as little, I remember tracking time and seeing how, you know, the benefits and what have you, I could go through and put, you know, 10 to 15 hours a week. And, and that's with like everything that's the buying the shirts, you know, the drive there, I used to wash the shirts and steam them and all this crazy stuff, but no one actually cares about that apparently <laughs> because they're going to wash them themselves. But so there's that, there's shipping and handling, there's listing the items, all of that. So I could do that on a weekly basis and it would take me 10 to 15 hours. And, you know, the profits have varied, you know, the more items you can list, you know, the faster and the, you know, the better items, you know, the more money you make. The most that I made in a month that I remember, and this was profit was, it was right around a thousand dollars. Oh, that's a nice side hustle. Do you still do that? I stopped mostly because of the move, but I, I'm no longer in the Chicagoland area. But I also didn't need to. I, I started making, I slowly but surely started making the decision of, so I could go into the thrift store on a summer day, you know, in June when it's 80 degrees, or I could, you know, go for a bike ride along the lakeshore. And I started choosing uh, biking along the lakeshore instead of an extra $100, $200 or whatever that week. With this, you know, what I want to kind of get to is, is where did you, like, how did your thinking about money evolve from breaking even and getting to zero and paying off your debt to building net worth and moving toward like the concept of financial freedom? Where does that kind of strike in into your story here? Yeah. You know what, what it started off with. So like, where did I find financial independence? I really started, I thought about it early on. I was like, man, I, I have to work, you know, this entire time we're talking 30, 40 years like that doesn't sound that appealing. So I actually went to the library and started looking for books and I didn't really find anything. And the stuff that I did was, what was it? It was like how to retire at like 50 or 55. And then everything was moving overseas and I was, or like to Mexico or Costa Rica. And I'm like, well, that sounds really cool. But I'm like, I don't know if that's going to happen in 55. That's still another 20 or 30 years later. So I came back, you know, did the internet Google search and, you know, found a couple people like Mr. Money Mustache and Early Retirement Extreme. And I'll be honest, I was very skeptical. I looked at it. I remember some of the first things that like my first thoughts on Mr. Money Mustache. Obviously, those have changed. But I was like, who's this crazy Canadian biking everywhere to early <laughs> retirement? I'm like, that's not reality. <laughs> and then uh, there was Early Re Retirement Extreme, which is, uh, was it Jacob Lund Fisker? Fisker, yeah. Yeah. So I read his and I was like, $7,000. I'm like, I'm pretty sure this guy's living in like a mobile home somewhere and like renting out his stuff. I'm like, again, these people are crazy. And I then started looking at other individuals out there and people who are, I was like, okay, this isn't just them. Other people are starting like writing and different things. So, you know, it was anything from 1500 days caught my eye and there was a, an awakening is what it was called. Uh, it was also probably because I had recently went to Kauai, which I, which I loved. But, um, 
Um, yeah. And there was, you know, Brandon, the mad scientist, all these people were out there and they were saying these great things, but like, it wasn't my story at that point because I was still in debt. There was like one line answers to, you know, the financial independence movement. And it was, you know, like pay off your credit card debt. And I was like, well, that's great. Um, that doesn't, <laughs> that, that doesn't really, you know, kind of dive into things. What year would you, did you discover this? Was it in the middle of paying down all this debt? Yeah. Yeah. So it was probably somewhere in between like 2012, 2013, maybe even 2011, especially with the real estate part of it as well, because that was another thing. There wasn't a, I, and I, this is, I shouldn't say it wasn't out there. I didn't, I didn't know about it where there was people out there that were like, Hey, by the way, uh, you can invest in real estate and also get to financial independence. I knew that it was a good thing. Sure. Like buying real estate, thumbs up, but it never, like it never clicked until, you know, some of the stuff like bigger pockets. Right? You know, you, it wasn't like thrown at my face where I was like, Oh, I get it now. But slowly I was like, yeah, okay. You invest in real estate. This is going to help your net worth. You are going to be able to build things. So when I had that investment property in 2012, my wife already had the investment property from Florida bringing it into the marriage. You know, there were, you know, I would say like leg up that we had, we just didn't really know it until we started really reading more or I started reading more. Okay. So, so the concept starts to strike you in 2013, 2014. You can't really do much about it, but then you get down to zero in 2015, 2016, right? So how do you begin investing? How do you start applying your savings at that point towards this financial freedom goal? Yeah. Well, one of the biggest things was, so it was, it was kind of cool. So I had this vision or this map, right? This roadmap to paying off my debt. And that was on our bedroom door. But right alongside that, somewhere along the way, I had convinced my wife that paying off the Florida mortgage was like the next thing to do. And if we could pay off both of our properties or both of the properties, we could then reach financial independence because we essentially would have very low expenses. And we'd also have a very high or not very high, but we'd have income that would cover our expenses. So that's really when it started. And when she paid that off, we, or so I paid my debt off in 2015, 2016. Again, I got to get that exact date. Um, <laughs> it should be like a, you know, it should be on my board somewhere, but it's unfortunately it's not, but yeah. So she ended up paying or we ended up paying off that Florida home. Uh, I believe it was the end of 2016. Yeah. At the end of 2016, early 2017. And we had a paid off mortgage. So we had all the rental income that was coming in was essentially free and clear other than, you know, your usual, you know, your insurance and any upkeep or what have you. Uh, but then we started making the transition to, you know, we paid off that Florida home. Should we then pay off Chicago? And we kind of a personal decision. We decided that we should start investing more into more into stocks and, you know, the 401k and, you know, taxable investments or what have you. And we started making the plunge towards that way because we weren't really sure what was next, but we thought it could involve Florida. And I, having one less mortgage along the way could, you know, launch us towards that way, towards that direction. Yeah. So so I'm sorry. So you decided not to pay off the mortgage, like put every dollar towards the mortgage in Chicago and instead to put your stuff in tax deferred 401k, all that kind of stuff, max out those types of accounts and kind of diversify across other, other things while you kind of planned out your next move. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Our mortgage was, I mean, it was, I think it was like 3.75 that, you know, it also in the back of my mind, can you earn more in the stock market as well? And and what have you, but Mm -hmm. 
This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, 
supporting local economies and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com slash BP. That's pinefinancialgroup.com slash BP. And it sounds like at this point, you're also, I mean, if I'm, if I'm going too far with this assumption here, but it sounds like you're starting to get really clear on what you want out of life, like kind of what you want your day-to-day lifestyle to look like. You're starting to plan around those things. Is that right? And back into that as an end vision? Yeah, we were definitely preparing for it. Kind of like the possibility more than anything. So the year after that, I paid off debt. Uh, I believe we called it the, was it the year? It was like the year of freedom. So there was things that I did that, or we did that, you know, we normally went to done. I actually remember a real specific example of the year before I had the opportunity to go to Berkshire Hathaway. A friend of mine offered to you know give us one of the extra... I wasn't a stockholder. Um, give us one of the extra tags or what have you. And we took that... Or, sorry, and I couldn't go. I decided against it. I mean, I guess I could have, right? I could have, but I wouldn't have been able to pay off my debt that much faster. So I, I said no. So the following year, I went to Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, we stayed... It's kind of crazy. We stayed in a tiny home on like uh, middle of nowhere, Omaha, Nebraska. And it was uh, on a goat farm. Like just, that's weird anyways, but, <laughs> but it was fun. So we, we were definitely taking more time to travel and just do things that, like you're saying, Scott, that it was, it was lifestyle based. And it started to be more about you know, transitioning into the lifestyle than it was of how frugal do I need to be? It was like more, started to switch more towards our values and what we found important. And, and what was the like? What was the relationship between being debt free and starting to pile up some assets and paying off that mortgage and all that kind of stuff? And that shift in thinking was did that, did that go hand in hand, or were they kind of arrived at separately? Where what I'm trying to get at is, I have a hypothesis, right? That for a lot of people, some people they don't need any money and they don't need any any situation, and they can just go and like design their lifestyle and go do it, right? And they're just, and they're just comfortable with that. I am not that way, right? I need to have my solid base of cash and some cash flow and, you know, a lot of flexibility for my financial position before I can mentally get, get into the state where I can start designing my lifestyle around exactly what I want, right? And I'm wondering if that was the case for you. If the fact that you had paid off your debt and were starting to accumulate assets as a family and that the position was getting stronger and stronger. If that's what kind of allowed you to start backing into, okay, here's exactly what I want my life to look like. And I'm going to start moving towards that as a result of these improvements in my financial position. Or was that just you know a totally separate progress path? No, I would say your hypothesis for me would have been almost right on. I mean, probably 80-20. But I would say that once we realized, or once we, you know, we had that debt freedom and we started to you know, have assets and have say extra money or what have you, we realized that we could do more things. I probably was on the side when I was paying off debt, a little more of the, I guess, scarcity or, you know, I need to live frugal. And then I realized, well, you don't need to live frugal on everything. You're starting to pile up things. You're starting to have more money and income that's coming in. Like you need to start really enjoying it. You don't have to wait until that date in, you know, two years or 10 years. And it really helps with you know, also the experience along the way, it helps you figure that out. Because originally I thought, hey, we, Chicago, Florida, we're going to live in Chicago. And then if we want to go to Florida, we're going to go there, you know, whatever. 
<laughs> there wasn't like some specific direct plan. And then, you know, later on, we're like, well, my wife really wanted to be in Miami. So let's prepare, let's plan for that to be a possibility. And now it might not be, but at least let's prepare and plan. And you start realizing the things that are more important to you or more important to you, your significant other. And, and, that, and this culminated in a move, right? And a major, major life change. All right. So what, what, can you talk, walk us through that? Yeah, it ended up being a, a pretty big life change. So we, again, we decided uh, to pay off that Florida mortgage. And then, you know, I thought we were going to take a trip to Italy and, uh, you know, celebrate and move on. Right. That was my original plan. And then it ended up being a long series of discussions over time. So every time that I, that I walked my dog and my wife was with, a lot of times we talked about Florida and how it would work. And during that year, 2017 and 2018, we decided that if everything worked out, we would move to Florida. And we you know, figured out some stuff where it was like, okay, we're in a better financial place. We know that if we move down, you know, we don't need two jobs. Sure, it would be great, you know, two incomes, perfect. But if one of our jobs says, hey, you can't go down there and work remotely or you, know, you can't transfer positions, that's fine. We were in a better financial place that we could make it happen. And in 2018, we ended up listing our house for sale. And we thought we might do the you know, long distance landlord, but we decided to list the, the house for sale and it sold ASAP, multiple offers. Uh, which we, I mean, sure, our house is very nice. <laughs> you know, we fixed it up, all that, all that, but um, didn't expect that. And everything happened quickly, snap like that. And we sold the house, and within whatever that closing was, I believe it was July, uh, July twenty seventh or July the end of the month, July thirtieth, we picked up and we were on the road to Miami, Florida. And then the way the job situation worked out was, my wife was able to work remotely. And my position, I wasn't able to transfer and work remotely. So we went down there with one position, one income, and of course, no debt whatsoever. And, and I assume that you're, by having bought in 2012 and sold in 2018 in Chicago, that you cleared some cash there that you're able to redeploy towards fortifying your financial position in that Correct. response. Is that right? Yeah. When we started out, it was... Uh, so we, I mean, I'm, I'm open about the numbers too. So we bought the house... 2012 for $200,000. It was actually a foreclosure through Wells Fargo. And then we did an FHA 203k loan. I wasn't that familiar with them at the time, but it allowed us to essentially take the rehab costs and just throw it into the mortgage. So instead of a $200,000 mortgage, it was a $250,000 mortgage. And then we got some stuff fixed up. So which was great for us because I didn't have any experience other than uh, my one time as a swimming pool construction before <laughs> before college. Not that beneficial in... Um, Your Chicago house didn't have a pool? Then, yeah, no pool. No pool. Oh. <laughs> I actually had a house in Chicago that had a pool once. Uh, what? Really? <laughs> I, I don't recommend it because nobody in Chicago wants a pool. So that's really interesting. How much money did you sell the house for? What did you, what did you clear on that house when you sold it? So we sold it for four eighty five, and that's what it actually. Actually, I think they offered more, and that's what it ended up appraising at was four eighty five. Nice. Wow! So you lived yeah. there for free for what six years? Yep, and a little, then little, made two thirty five while living for free. While living for free. Now, did you pocket all of that, or did you have some depreciation recapture and all that stuff because it was rental income? Yes. Yeah. So there'll be, so we didn't pocket all of that. And 
you know, to be, I want to be transparent as possible. We did do some work along the way. So it wasn't, you know, we put in 50 in the beginning and then we no longer worked on the house. So there was other stuff that we did along the way to, you know, for upkeep. And yes, with that, uh, we're going to the fun tax part of it. We will be paying some, like you're saying, the depreciation recapture. Uh, and then based on how much we lived in, uh, you know, you pay free and clear for, you know, part of it. And then the other part is where you're going to pay some taxes on, on our profits. And we'll be going through that here pretty shortly. But you still made a profit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what's the lifestyle like right now? And where's your finish line, I guess, from a financial perspective? Well, the lifestyle, well, we're, we're in Miami, Florida. We're in South Miami, Florida, where it's nice and sunny every day. I like Chicago. Um, and there's no polar vortexes. And if they are, <laughs> you have to wear like a long sleeve shirt that day. Uh, but uh, yeah, so the day's different. When I came down here, I knew that I wanted to start a business of some sort. And, you know, we knew that we had the one, can- one income and very low expenses. Uh, so I kind of went back and forth and really started researching different companies. Anything from, I, I looked at Culver's, starting a Culver's franchise, which is really expensive, by the way. But Amazon, anything from, you know, a little bit of everything, just figuring out, you know, what, what did I want to wake up and like be happy to do? And we started realizing too, you know, do you want to put in, like in Culver's, you were getting a loan for, you know, you could spend as much as $2 million really is what it came down to. And, you know, basically, do you want to put all your eggs in one basket into a Culver's? I was like, that's scary for me and for us. So we decided that, you know, whatever it would be, it would be online. And I had been blogging for the last four or five years at even Stephen Money. And that was just to really hold myself accountable and just to make sure that I was, you know, when I made debt payments or when I did different things that, you know, I let the world know essentially really helped me there. And decided to get into a different aspect where I'm going to be helping people really go through what I did. And that's, you know, working one-on-one with them as a money coach. So that you started that business when you moved down to, to Florida and, and has that been able to take off? How's that, how's that been going? I would say I just started actually. So I just started in January. So I'm in that, uh, getting all of like your process and procedures and making sure that what I do works for them and, you know, really following, having it all set up. So having it as automated as possible with the idea that I'm still, you know, one-on-one, it's not an income that is needed and that's not the plan for it to be really needed, but it's to, it's to be where I can help other people and also have it be part of our lifestyle. I can, you know, jump on a Zoom call and talk finance with, with someone to, you know, to help them in whatever they need. So what does a money coach do exactly? Somebody calls you up and says, hey, I don't know how to figure out my finances. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> no, no, no. no, it's, I, I, there's a couple of things that, and it's, it's all so new to me and it's new to me, but I, I really feel like it's a new thing in personal finance. So there's a couple of ways I explain it. One, you could say, you know who Dave Ramsey is? Uh, yeah. Yes. I've heard yeah. of him. I'm I'm the prettier one with a bigger beard and more hair. Uh, <laughs> no, that one I just made up. But um, but usually what I tell people is it's you know you know people when they say I'm bad with money, uh, you know you tell them what they do and they're like oh and then I respond with yeah I help them solve that I help people pay off debt faster you know save more money that they ever have before all this so they can live a better life today and retire comfortable tomorrow. Now I do everything you know, step by step. Yeah. That, that was practice, Mindy. <laughs> but yeah, I take things step by step. 
I want people to get to that financial freedom, right? To where I am today, where I am, or where we, my wife and I are, you know, in such a better financial position. But I also know it doesn't happen overnight. I say it's like, it's brick by brick. It's step by step. You know, you're building out that road, you're building that foundation. And while financial independence is, is a great journey to be on, not 100% of the population is you know, not currently on the road to financial independence. So if I can help some of the people beforehand, and maybe I can convert a few along the way to financial independence, then you know, I think I can help a lot of people, even if it's the you know, one-on-one. I think this is a really needed position right now because there are so many sources of information for financial independence, but you said earlier, and I say all the time, personal finance is personal. So what you did for your situation is not going to be the same as what I did for my situation because they're different situations. And having the idea that you want to pay down debt is great, but you don't know what you don't know. So if you like, okay, I want to pay down my debt. What's the best way to do it? Oh, I don't know. Never mind. And I can see a lot of people like wanting to be excited about it, but then without the you know, special tools. And you can't really, there's generalities that you can take and apply to your life, but having somebody to help you with every single situation can just be the difference between actually achieving financial independence or even just paying off your debt and giving up because you're so frustrated. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest reasons people work with me is, I mean, it's for a couple of reasons, but a lot of the times I hear, you know, I don't know where to start. I don't have a financial plan. And then you'll hear, you know, this is causing me anxiety or I feel like I have a weight on my shoulders. And if I can help them away from it, really even just getting started, right? They're like, hey, let's, you know, let's track your expenses. You know, some of my clients, they say, uh, I don't know how much I, you like, I, I'm bad with money. I don't know where I'm spending my money. I'm like, well, let's start with just tracking your expenses. You know, here's a tool that you could use or, you know, try this. And to be able to really get an unbiased third-party opinion. I'm your third party. And I'm really... like. I want you to win. I want you to do the best that you can possibly... I'm not selling you anything, I guess, besides me, right? I'm selling you me. Um, but other than that, like, I'm not telling you to go invest here or buy this insurance. And that's, that's where sometimes some of that advice can be... You, know, you have to be careful, right? So with me, you're getting someone who has gone through it before and can you know help you along the way kind of get through some of those roadblocks of sometimes it's just getting started and other times it's just running through your plan now that we have one and seeing if it works there's more than one way to do this not everyone's going to follow the same exact plan and if i can get you going in the right direction and figuring out what your personal plan is it, you know it's going to be a benefit for you yeah that unbiased third party is like a counselor in marriage, oh, I've got my opinion, you've got your opinion, somebody else can help you see what's going on. And with finances, sometimes you're so mired in it, you just can't rise above it and see the whole big picture. You're just like swallowed in it. I think that's really a necessary tool for a lot of people. Okay. Is there anything else that you would like to share with us before we get to our famous four questions? Uh, my wife is beautiful and wonderful and hopefully she will listen to this and that'll give me nothing but kudo points. Can I add that? (laughs) (laughs) Your wife is beautiful and wonderful and delightful. Okay. So it is now time for the famous four. These are the same four questions and one command that we ask of all of our guests. What is your favorite finance book? So the right answer, and this is, I have this discussion with my wife often. I know what the right answer is. Any book that is written by bigger pockets 
Uh, specifically, <laughs> specifically Scott or Mindy. Nah, um, perfect. Set <laughs> for on. Life was a pretty good book. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna lie. How um, the one that the one that changed kind of changed the way I thought about money was Millionaire Next Door. So that I would say that's my my favorite one. Uh, I'm also a pretty big. I, I like stories involved in my personal finance books. A little less rigid on the you know save X amount and then apply it to debt. So I also like The Richest Man in Babylon as well. So both were pretty influential for me. Yeah, that Richest Man in Babylon is my favorite. Great choices. All right, what was your biggest money mistake? Quite easily, it was um, the Mercedes Benz, buying the Mercedes Benz. Yep. So many things, not only buying it, but like leaving your job a couple months afterwards, <laughs> you know, paying all the expenses for it. So yeah, it, that one hurt. How much in total do you think that, thing, that car cost you? I feel like you're trying to make me cry, Scott. (laughs) (laughs) The point is to help our listeners. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Um, So, oh my goodness. I didn't even have it that long. I wouldn't be surprised. I know I took a loss, 1,200 plus payments for even just a year. And I had it for longer than that. I mean, $10,000 probably just in a year. Wow. Ten thousand dollars, and that doesn't even include opportunity costs. But also, would you be where you are today if you hadn't made that decision? I honestly don't think so. Uh, I yeah, I, I am a, also a believer that you know everything that we do kind of has a you know a little effect in something else that at a different part of our life. So yeah, it was without that, <laughs> without making a stupid decision, I wouldn't have I guess gotten smarter. <laughs> Plus, you look slick for a year. <laughs> right. I got to drive my friends around and say, Hey, did you see what I'm driving? Obviously I'm doing really well. <laughs> <laughs> what is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a number of things, but to really narrow it down is I say, if you get one thing out of talking with me is to track your expenses and it doesn't have to be like a rigid thing, but if you're able to know where you're spending your money, you can make the decision if you want to keep spending it that way, or if you want to put more money in something else that you value more or to put more in the stock market, you know, if just tracking your, I think it's such a big deal. You don't have to be, again, you don't have to be so rigid, but it allows you to really decide. It's like, it's data impacted. You're allowed to take that data and decide what you want to do with your money after that. I've told this story a hundred times, but until we tracked our spending, I didn't know how frequently I went to the grocery store. And at one point for like several months, it was every single day. And it's just, wow, I can't believe I'm doing that. So not only does it help you track like your expenses, but it, it tracks your behavior. And, you know, this isn't how I want to be. I don't want to be at the grocery store every day. I don't want to do this every day. And I mentioned earlier that I put this spending tracker on my phone. My husband did. I didn't do that. And we got that from the Waffles on Wednesday. They created this Google sheet, Google form. It's like a questionnaire. You fill out, where did you spend it? What day? How much? What is the category? And we made it customized to what we spend money on typically. And now every time I go anywhere and spend a dime, as I'm walking out of the store, I'm entering my expenses. And it's really, really helpful at the end of the month. You're like, whoa. So now we're trying, now we've got a game going on. How little can we spend? Yeah. I mean, a business, a business keeps track of all of their expenses. It's like, why wouldn't you do it for yourself? 
Yep. You know, when sometimes I'll meet with people, not in a, in a coaching capacity or anything like that, <laughs> but we'll, we'll, you know, people will we'll go grab a coffee or whatever and discuss someone's financial position and see if there's anything I could do to help or whatever. I won't schedule the meeting until I get a commitment from that person that they'll at least track, have some indication of what their expenses are going for the last couple of months. I mean, this tip comes up 50% of the time with people on this saying, Hey, my best piece of advice is to track your expenses. You know, I've never come across somebody who's failed to do this exercise and then does it who is unable to come up with potentially life changing amounts of expenses to cut or change or clear patterns that do not reflect what they say that their priorities are, right? You know, if you say, hey, my priority is financial freedom and this, this, and the other thing, and then you have, you know, huge amounts of expenses leaking out in this category and that category, that tells a clear story, right? That means you're not being honest with yourself or need to change something. I mean, this one exercise is foundational to everything else. If you can cut your expenses, you increase your savings rate. You could you have more to invest. You have a larger cash cushion. You know, you can take more entrepreneurial risks. You can go on and and move to Florida and start a <laughs> business and try and see how that goes. You can do all of this stuff that all starts with your tracking your expenses, right? All the other opportunities downstream to earn more, invest, all that kind of stuff. They all begin with this very, very simple exercise that most people don't do. Right. <laughs> and money's hard. <laughs> um, okay. Well, anyways, moving on from my little rant there. What is your favorite joke to tell at parties? I know you, you tell a joke every single day to your wife. So maybe we can... <laughs> what is the joke you tell that makes your wife groan the hardest? Oh, oh no, I, I can't use that one on you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's a family so show. I, yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, I didn't mean like that. I meant like a, like a horrible... <laughs> oh, that was a terrible joke. That, yeah. No, it's the, same. it's the same one. It's the same one. Oh. <laughs> so whether I'm saying it to my wife or I'm saying it to anyone, I usually just rely on like quick-witted responses. So since I, I wanted to be good, I wanted to follow, have a good joke. So I did look one up and I laughed when I read it. So hopefully that helps. So did you guys hear about the new restaurant called Karma? No. Well, there's no menu. You get what you deserve. <laughs> is that, is it, was that good? Love I don't it. know. I, think, I, I, think I laughed. <laughs> I mostly hate these jokes, so I laughed. <laughs> that means you get to tip what you deserve too, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> you tip what they deserve. That's right. Okay. Stephen, where can people find out more about you? Uh, you can go to evenstevenmoney.com and pretty much everywhere that's, you know, all social media. What is it? Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, it's all going to be Even Steven Money. That is unfair that you have the name Steven and you get to be <laughs> Even Steven Money. That's a great name. Thank you. Thank you. Lots of years of being Steven really got me to earn that position. So I'm very <laughs> proud of it. <laughs> Even Steven, there's a lot of V's in there and this is show 67. So we threw another V in there just for you. Thank you. 67. 67. Yes. So the show notes for this particular episode can be found at biggerpockets.com slash money show 67. That's money show 67. And even Steven can be found everywhere. You can find even Steven money. Thank you so much for your time today. This was really awesome. Hey, thank you guys so much. Again, still smiling. So Scott didn't make me cry. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and always, it, it's a pleasure. I'm a big fan of Bigger Pockets Money. So I, I appreciate it. Thank you guys. Yeah, thank okay. you. We'll talk to you later. Have a good day. Me too.
All right. That was Stephen Donovan from Even Stephen Money. Uh, Mindy, what'd you think? You know, one of my biggest takeaways from this episode is the fact that he didn't feel that having a finance degree made him too good to do any other job. Like he, as soon as he graduated from college, he went back to the golf course that he was working at throughout high school, throughout college. Uh, He didn't feel, I mean, he went to the poker tournament or the poker uh, casinos. That's, that's not my thing. I really, really don't like gambling. Um, So that would have not have been something that I tried, but he was like, oh, let me try this. Let me try that, whatever, to bring in money. He didn't just sit around and do nothing. He didn't just sit around and wait for this perfect job to come in. He graduated right before the market crash and just did what he needed to, to put money on the table or to put food on the table. (laughs) Well, I, I love how he just like got intentional and the results piled up and piled up and piled up and piled up. And I love the fact that he and his wife had a, a pretty sounds like tough conversation with an output he didn't like. And instead of kind of getting upset about it, he attacked his debt, got it back down to zero and is now living the life of his dreams and making things happen. So I just admire the hustle and the tenacity once he got going on achieving his goals. Yeah. And again, he took that same, I'll do anything to pay off this debt. I'll do anything to put, bring money in attitude towards his debt, selling stuff at eBay for what did he say his best month was a thousand dollars that's not small potatoes when you're trying to attack this debt that was he had at one point a hundred thousand dollars in debt that's a one percent of your debt in one month Mm -hmm. that's not bad yeah i mean a lot of creativity and a lot of discipline i think really got him through all that yeah it really did and i like that now that he has moved back to florida he's decided you know what i'm gonna do this for other people too. I'm going to help other people do this because I hear from a lot of people, I'm stuck. I don't know where to go. I don't know what the first step is. How do I get started? And you know, when you are in the situation, sometimes it's so hard to just, you're trying so hard to keep your head above water. You can't see that the island is right there. You can't see that, you know, help is is really close. And, you know, sometimes that's just really what you need to get you pushed over the hump and get you started. Yep. I hope he's very successful with it. I do too. Okay. Should we get out of here, Scott? Let's do it. Okay. From episode 67 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, where we interview Stephen Donovan from Even Stephen Money, brought to you by the letter V. This is Scott Trench and Mindy Jensen. And we are, V will see you later. That was terrible. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that was Scott level. <laughs> but seriously, like the letter V is everywhere in this title. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We're gone. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate 
to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions.